welcome again, everyone. Uh, good to see you this morning, and welcome everyone online as well. Uh, today we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive uh, into, one of, into a Bible passage. Uh, and I'm going to pick it apart a little bit, uh, maybe more like what I might do in a Bible study, but it's another one of these verses that I think is really misunderstood in Christianity. So I kind of want to set the record straight. Uh, it's this passage that Jesus talks about in his gospel lesson about coming to earth and how he's not here to bring peace. You're probably familiar with this one. We'll, we'll look at it quick again. Luke 12. Right? Do you not think that I have come to bring... Do you, do, you, do you think... Let me get that right. Try it again. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided. And he gives all these different combinations of family fights. I, I've always thought it's a little bit odd. You, you don't need divine intervention to get uh, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law in many situations. But um, what's Jesus talking about here? Well, this is, this is the verse, particularly that first one there in, in verse 51. Uh, some translations, it's the sword. I think it's in Matthew. It says, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. And that verse about the sword then gets used and has been used uh, by those Christians who want to, you know, go on holy wars and do all sorts of violence to argue that Jesus didn't, wasn't some sort of mamby-pamby peacenik who came. He was, a, he was a tough warrior. See, and he said, it says right there, he came to not bring peace but a sword. Jesus comes to bring war. So, and, and they love, and those who believe that, they love this passage. It seems to perfectly validate, right? You know? Um... And, uh, you know, it, it still reminds me of that pastor in Seattle I heard who got up front and he said, absolutely with a straight face, I could never worship a God I could beat up. And I'm like, wow, that's your takeaway from the Gospels? Jesus is a guy who beats people up and wants you to be tough and beat people up? Huh? Um, you know, but the Jesus of love for him is a little bit too loving almost, right? He's not you know, tough enough. And, and, uh, uh, and so he loved that idea of Jesus bringing the sword. It was kind of a more macho thing. He quoted all the time. But he could never seem to make it work with that other particular verse of Jesus that we see in Matthew, right? Where Jesus is coming, the soldiers are coming. He just did the Last Supper. He's hiding in the Mount of Olives. The Romans are coming with the priests. And they've got their actual weapons with them. And they come up, and Peter... Remember, Jesus' disciple sees them coming and grabs, Peter grabs his own sword and goes to the slave of the high priest, hacks his ear off, and what does Jesus say? Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Not a popular verse with that guy in Seattle. So what is it, Jesus? Did you come to bring the sword or take away the sword? Well, what verse people use kind of depends on where their politics stand at the moment, right? Um, Jesus himself never used a sword, right? The closest we have is he used a whip to knock down tables. We don't have any, any record of him actually picking up uh, a weapon and doing violence against other people, uh, even when he was being attacked. So... What does it mean when he says he comes not to bring peace but a sword, or not to bring peace but division? 
Well, I'll, I'll give you four examples. I got four things that might help explain what I think what I think Jesus is saying here, which isn't I came to start holy wars, but something else. I'll give you one example. You decide that you're going to convert Christianity. Your family doesn't want you to. They threaten violence against you. You go off and join a church. They threaten violence against the church for taking their son away, their daughter away. Now this one is fairly, is fairly well known to Christians in a lot of the world. Not really in America. It's perfectly legal to switch religions in America. There are many countries in this world where that is against the law. Converting to Christianity is a state crime. And you can be killed for it. And in a lot of places, it might not even be a state crime. It might just be your family would do it. You know, you bring shame on the family by switching religions so the family would do it. In Washington, D.C., uh, when I was there, there, I was hanging out with some of the Dominican brothers. That's a Catholic order. And they talked about how there was a guy in their order from Pakistan. And uh, every holiday, it was always, who gets to take him home? Because he had no family in the States to go to for Thanksgiving. Because his whole family not only disowned him, but they put out a hit on him and threatened to kill him if they saw him again. And so every holiday, I was like, well, you get him for Christmas, you get him for Thanksgiving. And I think they meant it in the, uh, in the most loving way. But he had no more family. The order was his family. And him becoming a Christian created division and conflict within his family. Following Jesus brought division, not peace. Or another example. Say you're born into a particular community and there's a tradition, some custom in your culture that they do. You become a Christian and now you don't feel that you can follow whatever this tradition is because it goes against being a Christian. It's happened all the time to the early Christians, right? It was very common for them uh, in the Roman Empire, they used to have big parades on festival days. They have festival Artemis, say. And everyone would get out, and they'd get in the uh, streets, and they'd all go down, and they'd have these huge parades, and everyone was expected to be there. And then you'd come up to the end, and you'd, you'd offer a sacrifice to the god. Often that would be a, a pig or a goat or something, and you'd do it yourself. It wasn't like in Judaism where he handed it to a priest. No, you'd be you're expected to do it, and you'd say some prayer to Zeus or Artemis, yay, uh, yay Artemis, yippee, yippee, and um, I'm sure it was a little more fancy than that, and then you would go and you would take, and if you were in a place like Ephesus, there was a giant statue of the Roman emperor, and you would then be expected to say, hail Caesar, Caesar is my Lord and Savior. And when you would say that, that would affirm to people, yes, you're a good Roman, you're a good patriotic citizen. You can go back to worshiping whatever god you want to later, but we have to make sure everybody worships the Roman gods and everybody worships the emperor, because if you don't, you're not being loyal, you're not being patriotic. You could bring the wrath of the gods down on our whole town. And so Christians would be in this bind, right? They'd, they'd try to hide their stories. Some of them would try to like, hide in the back room, and the mob would break into the house to drag them out as a loyalty test. Where do you stand? 
to put everybody's eyes on them? Are you going to say, Hail Caesar? Are you going to confess the emperor at that moment when they got you out there? Are you going to make that sacrifice to Zeus? If you don't, things can happen. You could end up like Ignatius of Antioch, getting fed to the lions. You're not attacking anyone. You're not hitting anyone. You're not killing anyone. But your act of following Jesus has created division in your community, division in families, maybe even violence and death. But what's the option? You deny Christ? Another one. You refuse to be mean and cruel when the culture you're in is being mean and cruel. This is a more personal one. So picture yourself, say, you're after work, and you're out at the bar with your bros, right? All the bros from work. You're all out at the bar. Everybody's there, and uh, they, you know, drinks have been passed around. And they start making jokes. They start making jokes about people. Some of these jokes are a little crass. And then they start getting kind of personal. There's a young woman sitting over at the bar. She has some sort of disability. It doesn't matter what it is. And they start making comments about her. Yeah, look at her. Ha, she's ugly. Ha, ha. I'll say ugly. Well, in your mind, fill in some other words. And you're sitting there, and they're throwing out all these crude jokes and racist jokes and mocking the disabled girl. They're just, and they're just being vicious. And you're sitting there going, uh, guys, uh, is this really what you guys believe? Jill in HR has the exact same condition. Is that what you think of her, too? Oh, come on, man. Come on, we're just having fun. We're just talking. What, you, you getting all, all high and mighty on us now? You think you're better than us? Dude, maybe we shouldn't be making fun of people. I mean, we can hang out and not be you know, calling people names. Dude, oh, oh, I see. You're so great and better than us now, huh? Guess who's going to have lots of fun when you come back to work on Monday? Guess who might have had too many beers and wants to take it outside? What, you saying I'm something? You call me out? Let's go outside right now. You're just trying to follow what Jesus said that we should love and care for our neighbor, and now suddenly you've got people wanting to beat you up. You came to bring peace, but it brought a sword. You didn't attack anyone. You didn't call anyone names. You didn't use a weapon but you started division and conflict. And your other choice, of course, would be some sort of sin of omission, right? I'll play along quietly, play along to get along, right? But following Jesus creates a fight, it creates conflict. It stirs the pot. Following Jesus brings division, not peace. Or let's say, give you another one. You see some sort of injustice happening. You see it happening and you decide you want to do something about it. Say you work at some company that makes processes, I don't know, processes something, but as part of its processing, they release a chemical into the environment that has been shown in certain studies to give children cancer. Uh, maybe it's one of those things like, you know, we have some of them actually, we've got kind of filtering our water here in Marana. Forever chemicals, you're familiar with forever chemicals? Kind of, they're called PFAS is their thing. They have names like, I gotta look it up, 1,4-dioxine. They don't break down in the normal processes of treatment. Um, a lot of chemicals will break down. Forever chemicals have very tight bonds. They don't easily break down. They're hard to filter out. 
and they've been known to cause cancer. They're also very useful in various industrial applications. And so say you work at one of these companies. Now, say, the, and, and you've noticed that they had said in their policies that they were filtering out all these things, but you notice that your boss just kind of quietly turned the has been turning the filter off and not paying attention and just pumping the 1,4-dioxine into the river. And you're saying, why aren't you? And you notice this, and you go to your boss. You say, why aren't we filtering this stuff out? It can give kids cancer. And he's like, yeah, you know how much it costs to filter this stuff? You know how much it costs to run this machine? If we did all this, man, we'd hardly even make any money here. They'd close us down. You want to have a job, don't you? He's like, but, and you're going, but we don't want to give kids cancer. I mean, well, what, if, what if we get caught? And they're like, they, how do they know we did it? They can't prove we did it. Lots of things that could have done it. How do we know it's not that company over there? And they're like, well, what if we get sued? They can't prove it. You know? And you're like, but we got to do something. Kids could get cancer. And you go, you don't know that. They just say that. Right? Your boss, doesn't want, your boss wants you to be quiet. Your boss wants you to be hush-hush. So what do you decide to do? You play hush-hush? You call the EPA. You call the EPA. Suddenly, guys show up at the door. Guess who's not, guess who's not, guess who has brought division and not peace to the company? Guess who's suddenly getting hate mails in his inboxes and tires slashed and neighbors going, you know what, I just paid for a new house and now I'm not going to get it. I'm out of a job. You're hurting my family. You don't even know those things were dangerous. You don't care about our community. And the principal of the school goes, look, I was going to build this whole new gym, but now I ain't getting no gym. You know why? Because we don't get no tax money from that factory because you brought in the EPA. Thanks a lot. You're the one hurting the children. And pretty soon, you know, you're getting death threats and you're changing your name to Billy Bob McNibbin and disappearing into the hills. You didn't attack anyone. You didn't hit anyone. You didn't call anyone a name. You didn't use a violent weapon. But you have pitted everybody against everybody and brought nothing but conflict and division. Because you don't want kids to get cancer. Because you feel like that's what a Christian should do. Like a very basic thing, like let's not kill children. Right? But you get blamed. Because you disrupted things. You tried to be the prophet crying out in the wilderness. And we know what they do to prophets, right? You read your Old Testament, it doesn't end well. Powerful people benefit from things the way they are. You go check, you try to change that or disrupt that, you are going to cause division. And so Jesus is telling his followers here, and, and people who are thinking about being followers, and he's got this audience, he's saying, look, you want to follow me? You want to help build this kingdom of God? I'm going to warn you, I'm going to warn you up front that this is the path we're going to go down. If you follow God's path in a cruel world, things will happen. There will be division. There will be swords. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? He isn't saying Christians should go and march out to holy wars to slay the infidels. People have done that, but that isn't what Jesus said. He's talking about families, communities being ripped apart because some of us are choosing to follow in God's path instead of what the world is doing. And you follow that path, it can be lonely and it can be hard. But that's 
part of being a disciple. Right? That's part of what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, I want to create fights. Jesus isn't saying, I want to create wars. He's saying that if you follow God's way, those things will follow you. But I'm not going to not preach the kingdom of God, and I'm not going to not say anything, and I'm not going to not act just to get along because I don't want conflict and division. He knows that if he does what God is called to do, that is going to be what's going to happen. I come not to bring peace, but division, he says. And just like Jesus, remember, he never hit anyone, he never killed anyone, never used any violence, and yet he created a lot of division. But he also created a lot of good. And that is the path of discipleship that Jesus is talking about here when he says, I come not to bring peace but the sword. Amen.